Well, good morning. Welcome, everyone, to the Ag Market Network. This August 13th edition of our program, I'm Pat McClatchy. We have a very special program today. Uh, joining our cotton panel will be our special guest, Steve Verrett. Steve is Executive Vice President, and most of you know who he is. He's Executive Vice President of Plains Cotton Growers. Uh, he'll talk to us today about uh, crop conditions in West Texas and really anything else he wants to talk about, uh, and then we will uh, have our cotton panel join in. Steve, thanks for joining us. Good morning. I'm glad to be here this morning. It's, uh, as I mentioned a little earlier, I'm hoping to, that I'm a little smarter this morning than I was yesterday since we had the crop report, but I thought I'd, I'd start out talking a little bit just about the condition of the crop. I think that's what a lot of people would like to know. Everybody's got the numbers, uh, but, you know, and I would qualify this is my perspective, but uh, from condition, but, you know, we have folks, we have our field man that uh, goes all over our 41 counties visiting with gins, and so we have a pretty good idea of at least overall what the situation is. But if you just look at the at some of the numbers, you know, this we all got we know we got off to a uh, a great start from a moisture standpoint. It was kind of delayed from planting uh, perspective because we had a lot of rain in uh, in March, excuse me, in May and early June. Uh, and the big concern at that time was were we going to be able to have enough heat units to finish this crop off uh, that we got planted? Well, I I can assure you that that uh, July and all of August is taking care of that at this point. That's no longer a big concern. Uh, when we look at all the heat unit uh, calculators, we're just right on our 10-year average. We have caught up with our 10-year average on practically all of the areas of the high plains. And we've switched quickly switched now from uh, where we thought it was going to have plenty of moisture to now that's going to be the very limiting factor uh, for this crop. When you look back, I've looked uh, at five average mesonet stations around Lubbock. If you go back uh, to May the 24th, when we were right in the heart of trying to plant this crop, um, we had already had uh, seven point, well, just really seven inches of rain at May 24th. Our 10-year average for those five stations around Lubbock would normally be 4.8 inches. So you can see we were nearly about two and a half inches ahead of, of the average. And then when we fast forward to August the 12th, uh, we've had a total of 10.4 inches, so only three inches since that, those, uh, since May 24th. Whereas the 10-year average would show us being at 11.2 inches, we would have had six inches. So therein lies the problem of where we're at with this crop right now. Uh, it's uh, the dryland crop, uh, you know, set in. We had a good soil profile moisture. But uh, July has been uh, hot, and the 1st of August has been hot. We've been above 100 degrees this week. Today will be the first day we'll be below 100. We'll be in the mid, low to mid-90s uh, for the rest of this week, and a little bit of chance of rain. But the rains that we're seeing are mainly uh, spotted showers. That If you happen to be underneath one of them, uh, it's nice. I talked to a friend of mine that lives out, lives and farms out in Palmer County, Palmer and Bailey County, and 
And Sunday night, uh, there were some pop-up showers, and he said that they got about an inch of rain on most of their stuff. So, But those areas are very limited. So I would say that uh, it's kind of a normal year in West Texas. Uh, as I mentioned to folks back in the spring when it was raining, you know, some people were kind of grousing about some of that. And I said, uh, I can assure you it will get dry here again. And as, as history has proven, it has. And uh, here we are in the dog days of summer. Uh, with really a pretty good crop, even a dryland crop, but it, the dryland crop is going downhill every day uh, because of lack of moisture. So we'll just have to see what the next couple of weeks bring. Okay. Any any questions from our panel for Steve? Steve, that big area there in Dawson, and yeah, Dawson. Lisa, uh, and I know that's a lot of dry land there, and I'm not asking you to repeat what you said, but uh, I just know there's just, just so much cotton there. Any any particular ins and outs there? Well, uh, and that's the, you know, that's the point. When you look at the report yesterday, and one of the things we try to go in and look at the FSA numbers as well, and, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference in FSA and NAS planted numbers. FSA's when you look at one N and one S both, um, we're about 180,000 acres, uh, FSA showing less acres planted than NAS. Um, you know, I, I would think most of the FSA numbers are in by now. But the, the point you make, OA, is the fact that, you know, we've got so many more acres that are standing in that in our 1S area than what we had last year. You know, when we look at last year in 1S, we had about a 55% abandonment. Right now, it's only looking at a 10% abandonment. And most of you guys on this call know that, you know, typically we're at about 18 to 19% average abandonment. We never have that. You're usually on one side or the other, significantly more, significantly less, or some less. So we've got those acres standing. I, I happen to have driven last week to San Angelo for a meeting. I drove from Lubbock to San Angelo, and I went I went one way and come back another way. I went to Post Snyder, Colorado City, and that way into San Angelo. And then uh, when I came home, I came out through Sterling City and Big Spring and La Mesa and up through Tahoka back to Lubbock. And that drive back, it was uh, last Thursday, uh, mind you, it was 105 degrees when I left San Angelo. And uh, all the way I got to Big Spring, and most of you know, you know, that's where most of the big cotton production starts from Big Spring, then all the way up to Lubbock. The thing that amazed me the most at that time was while I saw a lot of cotton where the bloom had moved up into the plant, I saw no, no cotton that was actually wilting in 102, 101 degree temperatures. Now, you know, it's been hot every day since then, and we're getting reports now that we are starting to see some stress in this cotton. But, but to your point, O.A., that we've got lots of acres of cotton that are still standing in that dry land country. Uh, there's no, you know, I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if we don't get any rain in the next two to three weeks, some of that cotton probably will not make it to harvest. But right now, i got to say the preponderance of the cotton that's left standing will go to harvest. Now, the question is, you know, it may not make, but 
200 pounds, 250 pounds, if it stays hot and dry, but we're, we're going to have a lot more acres that go to harvest than what we had last year. Uh, the difference is going to be is in that northern panhandle where we lost so many high-yielding acres uh, uh, from this year to not being able to get planted. Yeah, that Steve. Of course, you would know this better than I would. But what uh, what personal anecdotes I heard was that this year, with all the early rain and whatnot, the sandy land south of Lubbock was in you know got off to a better start. I, I heard more positive statements from folks early on, um, as opposed to the problems that were happening from you know I don't know Plainview North. Uh, it just seemed flip-flop from what, you know, normally the sandy land is dry and struggling and, you know, not getting an establishment. And, yeah. You know, no, you're right, John. You're right. It seems like it uh, flipped. Our bo- at our board meeting July the 10th, consistently from Lubbock South, all of the guys reported that it was, that they had one of the best crops. We had some people say it's the best crop that had since 2010. But, you know, as I've already mentioned, the amount of rain we've had since July the 10th to now has been slim to none. And so we've gone from a very optimistic attitude by by folks to now just kind of, you know, hanging on, basically. And, and unfortunately, too, you know, along with this, the prices, but, you know, people were so optimistic and they were doing things that they hadn't done in a number of years. They were doing some uh, adding fertility. Uh, to the crop, you know, in hopes of, of getting that rain that we typically, you know, get at least one rain in July, first part of August, but it just has failed to materialize. So, as you can imagine, there's some folks that are that are uh, a bit disappointed at this point from, you know, seeing the great best start they've had in a number of years, and it's uh, beginning to get away from them. Okay. Hey, Steve, this is Gerald. Um, yes, Gerald. The uh, the FSA number is showing about 6.9 million acres for Texas of, of upland cotton. Uh, that includes the failed acres. Now, I'm not sure why they would include the failed acres, but I guess that then shows up in, in the harvested numbers, uh, fewer harvested numbers. But the 6.9 is, you know, roughly, what, uh, 250,000 acres below USDA. Is that atypical i mean should should they be closer or would you think that maybe their planted acreage number will come down so i I think ultimately and we typically see this not necessarily uh nas being higher than fsa always there just always seems to be some difference and those planted numbers will stay the same until we get closer to the end and they have final numbers but I don't look, you know, I was reading online this morning about some of the other reports and talking about FSA numbers more in the Midwest and places, and and they were saying, oh, well, you know, that's typical because a lot of farmers don't report to FSA. I don't know about anywhere else, but I don't know a farmer, one, that doesn't report to FSA in our part of the world. Uh, there's just a number of reasons that that, that's that 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 is the case. The question becomes, in my mind, you know, we have a July 15th certification deadline, but, uh, you know, if producers don't get in, they can get in on, on a register, and, and it takes a while to get everything done, is, you know, a point. Some of these things, for, certainly from failed acres, can change 
from now till the very end, you know, depending on what happens. But but planted numbers, you know, should be uh, pretty solid. They could change a little bit at FSA uh, over the next couple of months, just just from the fact maybe they didn't have everything loaded in at the time they they released all the acres or whatever. But I don't think they're going to change all that much from the FSA numbers. They they shouldn't. I wouldn't think. Well, and certainly. Growers had every incentive to get into the FSA office this year with the uh, with the sign up for the MFP. Yeah, and that's kind of been uh, a little bit a, a total other matter. And you know, Joe, you brought up this. This has always been a confusing issue on the FSA reports. And talking about MFP, it's part of the reason why we had problems with the early release of the software not picking up the acres correctly. Because when you when you certify at FSA. And you certify as planted. When you go back and fail, and fail acres, it comes out of planting and becomes failed. So planting really is left standing from an FSA report. To get total plantings, you have to add planted plus failed equals total. So why they do it that way, I don't know. But and so because of that. Uh, when the software, they started testing the software for MFP, you know, they were needed planted acres. When they got planted, they weren't including the failed acres. And so, you know, then there was all kinds of rumors, well, they're not going to pay on failed acres. Well, that's not right. They are going to pay on failed acres. It's it's planted that's, that's what they're going to pay on, and that includes failed acres as well. So they had to make some software adjustments in order that they picked up the total planted acres. The, um, I was fortunate enough to be on a panel <clears throat> earlier this year when indigo uh, seed treatment guys were talking to, to growers and to, to, uh, about their uh, their seed treatments and the biomes that they're using on, on these uh, seed treatments. I guess it's on NextGen and, and in America, I believe. Are you familiar with any of that? Have you talked to anybody who says, oh, geez, you know, it's been a godsend or I think it's all, you know, snake oil? Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kind of curious about that. Well, I, you know, they, they made a real big push, Indigo did, here in 18, uh, with both their cotton marketing program uh, you know, and, and in order to participate in their cotton marketing, uh, you're correct, at least in Texas, there was only uh, one company seed that could have the treatment put on it, and that was NextGen Americot. And uh, um, I, I actually participated. I, I signed up a few of my dryland acres because I was already using one of the NextGen varieties anyway, so it was, uh, you know, an easy deal for me to do. And I would just say, you know, I didn't really have a good statistical sample to be able to determine uh, whether the, the seed treatment itself, the endophyte seed treatment, uh, made any difference. Uh, I couldn't tell that. But uh, as far as the marketing side of it and everything else that they had promised to do, you know, $18 an acre dryland premium, um, their average of, uh, I can't remember what period of time they were going to average the like the December futures, and you could call it. I mean, it that all worked exactly like they said it was going to do. And, uh, uh, you know, quite honestly, uh, for everything that I did, every way that I market cotton, and I'm no guru 
uh, cotton marking by any means, it, it turned out to be uh, one of the best prices that I had. Now, I say all that, to, you know, I, they're not in the cotton marketing business anymore. So I, I, I think they would be the first to admit to you that, that uh, uh, as a lot of people try to explain, cotton marketing is a lot different than trying to market wheat. Uh, so they've kind of switched their focus more so. They're still in the, the biologicals and looking at some of those things, but now they're looking more at, at uh, um, uh, carbon sequestration. I've talked to them about uh, this Terraton project that they're looking at offering, and they're, looking at a, they're also looking at some water uh, uh, banking issues or how can they come up with water-neutral programs. I'm pretty intrigued by the folks, to tell you the truth. I said, uh, you know, there's no doubt, you know, you can look around and see that they've, they've hired a lot of people. They've got a lot of money invested into their program and what they're trying to do. Time will tell uh, whether it will uh, be something that's, that will work for both the producers and uh, what they're trying to accomplish as a company as well. But... Uh, uh, it, it, it's an interesting concept, to say the least. Yeah, and, and, and until I was on that panel, I was a little bit skeptical, but, but after listening to some of the grower testimonials, and um, uh, and, and it wasn't a, a monster uh, sample by any means, but uh, listening to some of the grower testimonials and uh, what they're trying to do, I think it's uh, it's pretty impressive. And you're right, it sounds as if, I think they do have a lot of money behind them, and they want to make this work. I agree, and I, I looked at some of the other data that, you know, I think it's some of it looks pretty good. They've got a ways to go on it, but it, like I said, it remains to be seen and certainly bears watching. Let's open up the discussion uh, to, to touch base on the crop report yesterday, and then we'll take any questions that might come. Uh, and and I'm, I'm offering this to the entire panel today. Just any comments that we want to make on the crop report from yesterday. Well, it was a bit unexpected in the sense that uh, I was I was expecting cuts to production, and we saw the we saw the opposite. Everything everything on the supply side went up. Exports went up too, but ending stocks went up. So we're left with a situation which is not uncommon for an August Wazi where a lot of people don't believe it. And, and you know, to be fair, beyond the outcome, as, as Steve already outlined, the outcome is uncertain with, uh, you know, whether we have some timely rains in West Texas in the next couple of weeks will could tip it one direction or, you know, it's, it remains to be seen, but uh, we're in one of these situations where I'm, Kind of left scratching my head about NAS, but I've become conditioned to generally expect them to be right and and me not if I'm against them. So. Anyone else? Well, right, John. This was the first uh, six reports, I believe. I've, I've all of a sudden sitting here. I forgot to get one in January or not, or the last one in December. I believe, pretty sure, we get one in January. I should know that. So it's fifty years. But anyway, yeah, they're going to change their lot, and uh, I think you, uh, you guys at A and M, kept better records on the percentage change uh, over time. But uh, each year is different, so this crop can still get larger. It can still get smaller. We'll just have to see. I, I had suspected the crop was going to be smaller than this, uh, 
I missed a million bales personally on the crop, on the U.S. crop size, but uh, uh, to me, the other numbers came in pretty much as I had expected. I expected uh, 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 a very large increase in U.S. carryover. I expected an increase uh, of about 2 million bales in world carryover. That's about what we got. I certainly missed some, some country estimates without question, but net-net, that's what we got. I don't know that the market was terribly surprised at that. Uh, though we, we did have a have a turn down, uh, obviously, but uh, it's uh, as, as Steve said, as, as you said, I think Gip Gerald would say the same thing. Uh, not to try to speak for anyone, but that it's, it's still awful early, and we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, Steve, I, I I know a man that you uh, uh, mentioned, a man you know. He's no better than I do. We just don't see him anymore. I'm always impressed when I think about West Texas, when I think about your area, and I think about Mr. Donovan saying, uh, just when those guys you have that subsoil moisture, just look out. Uh, and I, I know things are different every year, but I always think of his comment when he talks about y'all subsoil moisture. So I just, I, I'm just thinking, look out. That crop can get so much bigger. And, <laughs> I think you pretty much said that. If you can get a little a little rain down there on some of that dry land, thank y'all. Yeah, I think and I think that's one of the things that indicate you know in my drive that I mentioned I w- that I was pretty amazed that the crop with the heat we'd had and the rain we hadn't had was still holding up as well as it is. But it can do that forever. Uh, but uh, you know the varieties and just a lot of things make a lot of difference today than what what they used right. to. So. When you have the acres, you've got the potential, and that's where we are, certainly in 1S. We have the acres uh, that are there. See, do you ever stop and, and pull up plants and look at the tap roots and see how far down they've gone? And it, it's, uh, I mean, it was so wet early, you just wonder if, that, if those plants were even trying to, to even produce a tap root. But so apparently they do, I mean, eventually. Yeah, and I haven't done that this year, but but I just think it's just the anecdotal evidence, like I said, driving by. If it wasn't tapped right. into that deep moisture, there's no way it would still be in any kind of shape. And uh, so I, I think, uh, you know, there was a little concern. But like I said, once we got to about the middle of June, I mean, the rain pretty much cut off. And there was a little bit of rain after that up until the early part of June. But uh, it it's had the ability to to do it and get tapped into it. So I, I think that's the only thing that's that's a reason why we are who we are today. In, in that one end district, um, you know, they still got a fairly healthy yield out there, you know, over 800 pounds. Um, any any comments on, on the, the one end district where they, you know, have little, at least a little better access to uh, irrigation? Yeah, I... It, the question is, you know, I think when we looked at it, uh, you know, it's it's showing, you know, that we planted about 240,000 less acres to begin with, and then when we look at the the fail rate already, uh, it's we're already 37 percent, which is pretty high for that part, you know, for one end because typically, you know, more irrigation, you don't have the drought issues, but that. That area, especially north of Amarillo, the real new area, was where they took it the hardest, where they got the most rain during a, uh, the planting season, that they were just 
flat and all, but able to get it planted, or if they were, uh, a big part of it got sick and died, and they ended up replacing it. So I, I think the possibility, as far as the yield itself, you know, we're still 140 pounds off of last year, and I would say the cotton that's probably survived with the heat that we've had again, I mean, uh, as, as I said, we were we're caught up or quickly catching up on heat units, and where they have the water uh, to be able to keep it on that cotton, I, I don't. I'm not too concerned about that yield on one end. Where I am concerned about the yield is on one S, where it's much more predominantly dry land, and uh, you know where we may we've got so many more dry land acres in one S than we had last year. The you know the yield last year was 658 pounds. But a big part of that yield in one has come from irrigated last year. Mm. We we need to respond to some a question or two that's come in, um, and, and I, we are the Ag Market Network, so I think we, let's let's kind of address the the idea of, of marketing and and there's a lot of there's a lot of different versions of this one question, but it is given where we are today, is there anything to do with regard to marketing? Uh, a chance for a rally in the market that can provide some opportunity. I just will will submit that to our panel. Well, we're still at a record net short, which means that we're still uh, in a position for that spring to pop if uh, something scares them out of their short position, which is, you know, I, I thought a really short uh, mass number would scare them, but we didn't get that. But, uh, you know, a, a surprise announcement of a trade resolution or some developing problem, you know, lowering expectations of a crop might cause a, a big uh, buyback of a bunch of short positions. So, I, you know, I, I think that is just looming there for something to trip it. Gerald? Yeah, the, the uh, what's astounding is a huge net short position of, of the speculators and Really, I mean, uh, historical standpoint, uh, the, the trade is net long. Even when you strip out, you know, options from uh, their disaggregated futures and options position, the trade is even longer. So they've used options, you know, either long puts or or short calls to to reduce their their long position. So, and that's telling me that uh, um, with the amount of of bales that are committed, at least for exports. Um, and the, the, it just sounds to me like growers haven't done anything. And so, you know, merchants are going to have to try to bid this crop, bid, get this market up so they can start getting cotton out of growers' hands at some point. So I, uh, um, now maybe that reveals itself in, in a huge inversion, December over March, um, or, uh, um, you know, the market just, you know, something sparks this market to go to the upside. Well, what um, kind of a rally does it take to to get cotton out of farmers' hands? <laughs> well, I think most growers would probably tell you 10 cents would be a nice a, a nice start. Um, but, but uh, I, I, gosh, with all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, um, you know, forget the trade war. Well, I say forget the trade war. You know, the trade the, the trade war is certainly making everyone feel uncomfortable about uh, growth prospects around the world going forward. So, and and those growth prospects certainly 
start influencing, you know, offtake at the mill level. Um, and but in the short term, to start getting cotton out of growers' hands, I, I think that you know merchants will have to start to trying to bid up the basis somewhat. And and if uh, and, and I'm talking good quality cotton, I'm not talking about junk cotton. You know, anything 31, 3, 36, and better is probably going to see a pretty good premium this year, I would think, until they get their uh, their needs satisfied. And um, the, you know. Uh, Go ahead, Steve. Uh, I'm no cotton marketing expert by any means, but I think I understand farmer psychology a little bit. Uh, make no mistake, uh, what has happened uh, over the la- in the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, stacks payments have just gone out from the 18 crop in a lot of counties across the U.S. I was at the ACP meeting last week, and there were some counties in the southeast you know, where they had the hurricane issues that got over $200 an acre on stacks payments. Um, we've got this MFP uh, program, as all of you know, is a substantial amount of money hitting the country. Um, we're going to have the 18 PLC ARC payments that will be coming sometime after October 1. I'm saying all this that some of the pressure has come off of producers, and they're not going to be too inclined to sell at these prices, not not soon anyway. And I think it kind of leads to what Gerald's saying. You know, if merchants are going to need cotton, they're going to, the basis is going to have to narrow some, at least, at the very least. Now, we've got to have futures market to come up some, too. They can't make it out of thin air. They just can't produce a price out of thin air. But, you know, it's going to get to be that, that, that push and pull or tug of war between those that need it and those that got it. So uh, uh, I just think some of the things that's happened, if we were sitting here, and especially if the MFP money had not come, you know, Producers would just be in a much uh, worse position and, and looking for cash flow anywhere they could. But but the MFP money is going to be a significant uh, influx uh, t- uh, to all of the cotton country. Well, all all of agriculture, but certainly cotton because the cotton counties, predominant cotton counties, had some of the highest MFP uh, per acre payments of, of of any area. Steve, I hope you'll take this tongue-in-cheek and as if we were sitting by each other smiling. But uh, right there is why I was just so insistent that you be invited to be on this program because I knew if you talk long enough, you would say <laughs> something far more intelligent than the rest of us. And you just did. <laughs> that, 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 you hit the nail on the head. They, they the growers, have cash right now. Uh, or, or if you know they're fierce, or they will have you know. Yeah, yeah, this MFP yeah, it's available, right. but it's going to be coming in for the bulk, most of it during harvest. Is for probably right. when most folks yeah. are going to be getting it. Yeah, and so it's going to and, take a significant amount of pressure off. And it, it, it is, and now you know I'm the bear in this group. I'm usually the bull, but I'm I've been a big, horrible, ugly bear, and I still am. What what they what our growers are going to face. Uh, we've got the Brazilian crop coming off, another big crop, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I don't know, Kip, uh, 12 million bales or whatever, something like that. Well, well, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, 13. And 13. And it's, uh, it's not sold. We're not sold. They're not sold. Yeah. A little bit of African crop is not sold. 
more so than any other time that I have ever known. Nobody, no, no cotton country, no, no set of growers have sold their cotton this year. It's a huge problem. And we talk about mills. I'm merchants trying to get the mills. Uh, I mean, trying to get the basis up a little bit, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of trying to strengthen the basis. I don't see how merchants are going to be able to do it. I see nothing out there that's going to allow it. Uh, mm-hmm. So not only, and when we talk about, well, the shorts, record shorts, and I'm one of them just saying the record shorts. So that's got to leave itself. Well, we've been saying that for 10,000 positions. We may go double record short. Uh, I can see it actually happening. Uh, so consequently, I'm still a big bear in this market. I hate to say it, but I am. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I'm just very concerned. I'm I'm concerned. I'm a big enough bear and talking about merchants trying to get the basis a little bit stronger. I'm, I'm now getting concerned that we're going to see some merchants go under because they're not going to be able to manage all of this crop has got to be moved sooner or later. And that's why I'm also very negative on exports being this large. I'll shut up. Steve, I've got a question for you, and this is looking out into the future. It's actually looking at next year. Uh, December cotton 2020 right now is trading around 62.60 with the possibility of going lower. What happens at decision-making time in the spring uh, if we're anywhere close to this as far as acreage goes? Yeah, that's the big, you know, that's the $64 question and what we worry about the most, you know. And as all you guys know, you know, we have a big part of the acres out here don't really have uh, cotton as the highest and best use, and so they don't have a whole lot of problem. They don't have a whole lot of choice. So, you know, and that crop insurance price that will be set in the month of February is going to be critical to that. So it's it's not going to be pretty. That's when the rubber is going to meet the road, that if, you know, we're still setting it at, uh, you know, even 65 uh, and that looks good right now. Uh, it's still going to be a, a, a tough deal. It's going to make it very difficult uh, for farmers to be able to, to get financing. And that's why I, I say on the one hand, you know, and, and farmers, we have to look over the hill, but we also live in the moment. I mean, because that's just the nature of the beast. Uh, you know, right now, you know, short of the weather, things look pretty good, you know, from a cash flow standpoint with things that are coming. But it's going to quickly change once we get into harvest and we get this crop harvested and we're still sitting around here and not being able to sell it or whatever, and we're looking at futures at 60 to 65 cents. It's not going to be an easy choice. But a lot of folks, depending on what happens with other crop prices, can do some switching, and we'll see some switching. But uh, especially our northern panhandle area, you know, if we can get corn back up around in that four to five dollar range, I think we'll see that we'll see some of those acres switch. Not all of them, maybe, but uh, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for everybody on trying to figure out how they're going to make this deal work. Oh, wait, what's going to be the effect in the Mid-South, the Delta, and the Southeast as far as that goes? Well, I think we'll back off a little bit. Uh, I think probably, in my opinion, the bean market is so stressed right now, I think uh, we'll have fewer beans, more corn, and that will bring U.S.-wide, and that will bring a few more beans back into the U.S. I think we will back off of cotton a little bit. Uh, we had, had a couple of good run-ups, and we'll just settle back a little bit. 
All right. Any, any other closing comments? We've kind of run our time here a little. Uh, any, anybody got anything they want to say? Well, I've been listening to the conversation. I um, haven't commented much, but we, we've spoken almost exclusively about the U.S. And, Ger- uh, not Gerald, sorry, Owe mentioned earlier one of his expectations was we would see a 2 million bail increase in the world ending stock. You were right on the mark. I think it's 2.03. Kudos to you, Owe. And I, we were thinking about the same thing in our shop. The point is that uh, we're all talking about how the uh, – the specs could double down on their short position, and uh, but this crop is not made. I was speaking just before our conversation started uh, that India has already seen, this is the earliest in their history, that they've seen bollworm infestations in four major cotton-growing states. This is not to say it's going to fall apart. It's just that uh, when everybody gets on the same side of the boat, the boat sometimes gets, and I'm not, I'm not sure that that all of us who have concluded that this uh, 125 and 126 million bale crop is going to be made uh, is entirely accurate. We've heard uh, a lot of things can happen, and I think that's what we need to be. Uh, I'm everybody's on the same side of the boat. I'm not bullish, but I'm just not quite as bearish, I think, as my friend. Good comment. And, and, you know, we've, of course, we've kind of beat it to death, but the Indian numbers are, are still, you know, from a crop size, from a from a carryover standpoint, you know, if you talk to Indian merchants, um, they don't think the cotton's there. Um, right. And so, you know, but I don't know if we'll ever get that resolved at all. But I do think India is a real, real concern for the, the global market right now. They're our largest producer in the world. And to Gerald's point, there's um, as much uncertainty there as there is anything. And, and we've seen a, a good drop in mill use worldwide, 1.2 million in this report. Uh, I think that was probably given the, uh, the sort of tone and tenor with the uh, – the trade wars, that was probably uh, necessary and accurate. However, uh, we see at least, you know, this impending recession just hasn't happened yet, and consumers are still spending a little bit better. If we look at the U.S., I mean, that's what's holding us up. I'm not so sure we haven't just all fallen in lockstep to uh, things are bad and they're going to get worse. Uh, they may not be quite as bad. I don't see huge improvement. But I think we may be overstating the downside just a bit too much. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up the meeting. We had a good meeting today. We really appreciate Steve Barrett for joining us and giving us his insight. It was, uh, I think, very meaningful, and our listeners very much appreciate it. We appreciate it at the Ag Market Network. We thank you, Steve. You bet. Uh, My pleasure. Also, thank our panel. And uh, we will have this broadcast recorded and up for people to listen to here pretty shortly. So thanks to everyone. That concludes this edition of the Ag Market Network. Thank you. You bet.